Today's show is brought to you by LootCrate.com. Save 10% on any new subscription at www.trylootcrate.com slash holybackboard. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Let's go! Come on, everybody, let's get to bumping, cause it's trailblazing time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Hey, Brindle up the middle. Hey! Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 70th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin. Here in Rip City, and I got my man uh, Sage chilling at my mom's house. My apartment's getting uh, repainted and put new carpets in, so I'm at my mom's house for the week. Uh, I, I was on a normal sleep schedule, so doing a podcast at 9:45 has been a little difficult for me. So I've been listening to like nothing but 2000 era cannabis. So I, I'm ready to fucking podcast, and if a fight breaks out, I'm so ready. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Well, if a fight breaks out, we also brought some backup as well. What's going on, guys? Evan here. How you guys doing? Doing well, Evan. Thank you for joining the, the podcast once again. What is this, sixth, seventh time you've been on the show? I'm, I'm guessing tenth. He's been on like, man. at least. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Ten seems like a lot. Um but maybe not, you know, I talk about the Blazers. I literally just, like, go into random places in public and talk about the Blazers. So, like, I lose track if I'm on a podcast or not. People look at me weird. We'll never look at you weird, buddy. Never. I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, fair warning, Kratos, uh, my pug, is followed me into another room. He might get a little boisterous. He loves the Blazers as well. But he literally makes up his own rules in this place. Like, he just does whatever the hell he wants, so... I think Kratos has been featured on this podcast more than our old co-host. So he, he's a welcome member of the team, Team Holy Backward. Yeah, he's looking at me right now like a ticking goddamn time bomb, man. <laughs> he gives me this look where he's like, if you don't pay attention to me, I will start barking. Ooh, so, so some, some hot takes coming in real hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. It adds intrigue to our 70th podcast, Will Kratos Bark. <laughs> I'll put the over-under minute mark at like, Four and a half minutes. I think we're already past that, so I think I think I'm we're good. good. All right, guys, let's dive into the week that was uh, uh, started off pretty odd, as there was condensation in Minneapolis at the Target Center, left over from Disney on Ice. So Portland did not get to play the Timberwolves on March sixth. Uh, I think that actually was a blessing in disguise because they had a ton of energy the next night in Oklahoma City. Uh, Portland took care of business against the Thunder for the second time in a week, uh, a 126-121 victory despite 58 from Russell the Robot Westbrook, starting to call him the Robot because that motherfucker is not human. Uh, then Nurk Fever took over Rip City in an overtime victory over the 76ers, 114-108. Uh, we all know what happened Saturday night as Portland got robbed by the referees. In Portland, I'm not even going to say the final score because we already know the Trailblazers really should have won that game. And then they backed it up with actually maybe the most impressive victory of the week, uh, a 110-101 victory in the Valley of the Sun, an arena that Portland has had so much trouble playing in as of late. It was it was a low-key house of horrors for this team, and the Suns have been making elite teams look silly lately with that youth movement, and they were coming off a game-winner 
uh, by Devin Booker um, in Dallas the night before. So they actually had a ton of momentum heading home, but Portland was the aggressors behind 39 from Lillard. They go three and one on the week, six and four out of their last 10. They are now just, well, Denver is going to handle business tonight against the Lakers. So they will be two back, but just one back in the loss column. And guys, it, it's looking like it's coming down to the Nuggets, the Blazers, and then the Timberwolves. They've been playing a lot they, better. Timberwolves are actually playing like the team I predicted to become the eighth seed in the preseason. They handled business tonight uh, by 15 points against the the second best team in the Eastern Conference record-wise, the Washington Wizards. Uh, this is shaping up to be a pretty good race for the eighth. I know it's been really lethargic for most of the year, but... Jokic is playing well for the Nuggets. I think Nurkic has revitalized Rip City. Uh, Minnesota starting to play up to their potential. And Dallas added Nerlens Noel. Wesley Matthews is ha- healthy. And Yogi Ferrell, I think, just really injected some much-needed um, enthusiasm into that bunch as well. And Harrison Barnes has really lived up to that contract. So you've got four teams fighting for what is... Now not as dreaded as a one seed. I know you're looking at the the Spurs who are just machines winning 50 games, probably like 20 straight years, and then the the Warriors. My question for you both, if Portland does sneak into the eighth seed, knowing what you know now, who would you rather play? And I'm not saying we're going to win either series, but who would you rather play, the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors? Sage, I'll toss it up to you first. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Whew. I might go Warriors just because of their reeling from injuries and they don't look as fluid. Like, Kawhi Leonard's a fucking machine right now, and I don't think our wings could handle that. So I'm going I'm going Warriors, surprisingly. Yeah, so for me, I mean, just, if we make the playoffs in general, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a hit to my wallet. I was kind of planning leading up to this that we weren't going to make the playoffs. And when we make the playoffs, I like to go out. It's the great part about being in Rip City. We've got great fans and a great bar scene, especially when we're playing on the road. So it's really fun to go out. I was planning on us not making the playoffs. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to save hundreds of dollars because I'm not going to you know, go to the bar every night to watch the other games. So either way, it's going to hit me in the wallet, which is going to be awesome. Um, I mean, I don't anticipate us beating either team, obviously. So if I, I'm rooting for a series that I think would be fun or like I, I'm not going to get bored by and it it would be golden. So I would like to watch us play golden state. You know, I, I, I hate to make it a clean sweep, but right now the warriors are reeling and outside of blowing that three, one lead against Cleveland. They've never really felt this way before they've lost three straight games. They're five and five in their last 10. Uh, they've had two separate occasions of losing back to back games that hadn't happened in over a year in the regular season. Um, People forget they had to give up a lot just to get Kevin Durant. They let Fest Zazili go. They let Andrew Bogut go. Um, they let Maurice Spates go. Uh, they let Harrison Barnes go. Leandro Barbosa signed with the Phoenix Suns. They lost a lot of role players and a lot of depth. And what I think you're seeing now is, for whatever reason... Steph Curry isn't used to being the man this season. He had defenses really focused on Kevin Durant. Once Durant went down, Curry, I don't know what is going on with him because his game is not predicated on athleticism. It's on shooting, and he's just been in a slump. Um, Maybe it's the law of averages 
averaging out because the, his degree of difficulty is so high that over time, I guess it's what the, the basketball gods are saying is these shots just aren't going to continue to drop at the rate at which they were, which were historical averages. But even Steph, you know, Clay has shown flashes, but I think what they're really lacking is Draymond. He has not had the impact offensively that he had last year. He was racking up quite a few triple doubles, and I think he's only averaging like 12 or 13 points this year, which is extremely low on a team without Kevin Durant and all of those parts that we just mentioned. So I think Golden State does give Portland the best chance to win because they're going to play a similar style, backcourt versus backcourt, and whatever role players can perform better. I love the idea of Nurkic going down low against Zaza Pachulia. And I know LaMarcus is out indefinitely with, with the heart arrhythmia, which, you know, best wishes to him. I hope he can recover safely. Uh, I would bet that he would be back for the playoffs. But even if he doesn't come back, the Spurs are just a team that I just don't see them fucking around. I mean, you could put me on the Spurs and I'm going to drop 13 points. I mean, it, Greg Popovich is especially, a guru. Especially. Especially against our guards. <laughs> I mean, anybody's guards, they just get open and they know how to play. And I think it comes from Popovich. It's a system and guys come in there and they have this innate sense of confidence that, wait, I'm on the fucking Spurs. I'm supposed to do work. And they go out and they do fucking work. Um, and then you've got Quad Leonard, who is arguably the MVP of the NBA, um, easily my defensive player of the year. And they may not win at all, but they're definitely not losing a 1-8 matchup. So I think Portland would lose both, but I think it would be more entertaining. I think we could take extra games against the Warriors as they are currently constructed. Um, if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm I'm, I'm high-key worried mm. because Durant's going to be reevaluated towards the end of the season. That's not something you want to hear. It should no. be like, okay, Durant's going to play. Whenever I hear the word reevaluated, it means, oh, he's probably going to be out an extended period of time afterwards. I, I just think that the Spurs have talent that's like above average, but their IQ on the floor is so so elite that I I, I don't want I don't want to fuck with them in the playoffs, especially this year. I, I just think that those players know what they're doing and they play with on a string defensively, and I don't I don't want to touch that man. So give us the Golden State Warriors, give us the the seventy two win. Uh, Giants. I don't want to fuck with that basketball IQ. Yeah, and again, we're we're probably, we probably don't win either series. Um, but but just as a fan, like, who would you get more satisfaction out of beating? If for some reason, some way, fighters punch, we could beat. I would get more satisfaction out of being the Warriors than the Spurs. Okay. I mean, I just because you know the, the Warriors are a very annoying team. They're annoying to watch if you're not if you're not a fan of them. It's a team that you don't really want to root for. Um. You know, because they're built with Durant going there. They're not one of these super team type teams. And, you know, I mean, San Antonio, we've seen I, I know we we played Golden State last year in the playoffs. But like San Antonio, I feel like we've we've seen this happen before in the past. Like, I don't want to. It's just it seems like it'd be a boring series. Like the San yeah. Antonio could just with how fundamental they are, they would make the series boring. They dirty it up pretty quick, too. Yeah. And they don't make mistakes. No. God, so I wish Port- we were the Spurs. So Portland's <laughs> actually won five of their last six, kicked off the road trip with a big victory in Phoenix. Uh, Sage, what were what was the one thing that stood out to you over that last four four games that we played last week? I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to say Nurkic. 
he impacts the team so much. I've been talking about when we had Plumley how it's so hard for us to get easy points, like Kobe assists, free throw line. If it wasn't Dame or CJ going to the line, we weren't getting easy points. And if our shots aren't falling, falling, we are a bad team. So those easy points were huge. And then our guards were cutting and Nurk was hitting them with a good pass. I think Nurkic was the reason that we played with such enthusiasm throughout this week. You know, it's the obvious answer, but it's the correct answer because you go back to the first game of the week, he gets an early foul trouble in Oklahoma City. Portland gets down 15 points in that second quarter, but they're they're fighting. And Nurkic, Dame went over to him, and there was an article, I believe, by Jason Quick um, that talked about how Dame is really trying to help him uh, learn the plays, learn the system. If you do something wrong, you know, tell him and he's going to correct it. But he came down big. I mean, he was amazing down the stretch. Uh, that play, the and one where he's spinning in the lane, scooping and scoring, how nimble he is on his feet, uh, finished with 17 and eight, uh, four assists against the Thunder in that victory. And then he's the reason we won against the Sixers. It should have never been that close. But let's also remember it took a CJ McCollum uh, game winning and one to beat this team last year. So for whatever reason, Portland plays down to the Sixers, but it was an amazing night by Nurkic. She had five blocks in the first quarter, ended with six, uh, 28 points, 50% shooting, 20 boards, eight assists, and two steals. Um, the first player to have that stat line since your guy, Charles Barkley, back in the mid-80s. The guy is amazing for this team, and I think as great as Damon CJ are, the offense is so deadly when he has the ball not only down low, but when he has the ball elbow mid post, um, probably 15, 17 feet extended, and he can dissect the defense. He has the ability to shoot that jump shot. He can put it on the floor, but he is so good at throwing those plumbly type passes for our, our guards who are cutting to the basket. And I think that's one thing we got away with against the Suns. The Suns are a young team, but we should have been pounding them inside. Alex Len didn't play. Uh, Tyson Chandler didn't play. I know they had Allen Williams, who has been performing well for them as of late. But... We could not stop that pick and roll. It was pissing me off. The Uless Williams was like Carl Malone and John Stockton. But he should have made them pay for that oh, on the absolutely. other end of the court. And I think we got away with it. We got away with uh, a. I think we got away with one. Um, I think talent just over one. Obviously, Dame was completely insane. Thirty nine points. Um, again, fifty percent shooting, six boards. And did the damn thing. CJ also added in 26. So anytime you're getting 65 from your backcourt, you're going to be in good shape. And again, Nurkic didn't really get going early, had five personal fouls. But when you look at the stat line, another double-double, 12 and 11, and he shot 67% from the field. He only had nine attempts. Those attempts I would like to see a little bit more. I think you can understand that because you've got Dame shooting so hot and CJ was shooting over 50% as well. But The team is going to become elite when we get Nurkic involved more and when we get Alan Crabb involved more. Um, That's kind of the second thing I noticed was we play better when AC gets more shots. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just another guy to contribute to the the team. We need need more than three players to win games. And when role players aren't playing like trash and contributing in numerous ways, it makes our team way more deadly and way more hard to plan for 
Yeah, uh, quick, real quick, going back to Nurk, do you know who I, I think the two guys that are benefiting from Nurkic are Noah Vonley and Mo Harkless? Absolutely. I, I, think, I think before in our system, it was obviously more spread out. That's just the way Terry had the system set up on offense where we spread it out. And though, for Mo Harkless and Noah Vonley, that's not really the type of system they probably should be in. Now with Nurkic, he's getting more looks inside the paint. And for me, it feels like Harkless and Vonley are hanging out by the basket more and getting offensive rebounds. As opposed to when we've got our guys shooting threes and they're missing the rebound, it's really hard to get tracked down a rebound, uh, you know. But when Nurk is in the middle, I feel like they're they're benefiting from that in a huge way. That's a great point, and it kind of reminds me of when Robin Lopez first got here. He wasn't grabbing a shit ton of rebounds, but he was boxing out one to two men, and LA was cleaning up. Uh, Vonleh's averaged six boards over these last four games, and he's not even playing typically half a game. Um, so that has been a huge impact. I, I completely agree. And I also think it, it helps it helps Myers because he knows, okay, I don't have to come in and provide everything. Nurkic is, is doing this. I'm just going to come in and I can play my game. I, I really do think having a, a, tr- um, a traditional big man that he can bang in practice and get all of that those reps against has helped him. And I think he's been a little bit more confident and he's even gotten a little uh, chippy with with Steven Adams at, with Oklahoma City. And I think the numbers won't show it, but I've seen a, a better Myers. And I Absolutely. really like that. I like that two-man rotation we have at center because it's com- such a completely different look. Nurk can bang and pound with anybody, and then you bring in Myers, and he's going to spread you out. Um, okay. I really like that. And I love also Aminu coming in for Vonley. I like this four-man rotation we have at the 4-5 spot. Um, it sucks to see Ed Davis go out um, and Evan Turner as well, but I think the shortened rotation has really defined roles for this Blazer team, Absolutely. and that's why we're seeing the production from them as a as a unit. I mean, you talked about the, the, roles, and Myers just has a defined role now. He knows that I get these minutes every game. I'm going to play my game in these minutes that are allotted to me. Yeah, the, the other thing is, is interesting I noticed last night, the Nurkic effect. Uh, it's fresh in my mind from the Phoenix game. Um, you, my, I think Myers in general has been playing better. Last night, I was really scared when Nurkic was out in the fourth quarter. Phoenix came back, and they actually had a one-point lead. And then uh, when Nurkic subbed back in, we're down by one when he subs in, and we end up winning by nine. I thought, like, the, the calm demeanor he brings. I mean, he's, he knocks down free throws late in games. He's not, afraid to take, he's not afraid to take big shots late in games, especially in the paint. And uh, just him clogging the middle defensively, you can see guards after they come off that screen where they'll pull up maybe two or three feet further back than they normally would. I mean, the guy's averaging, uh, I don't know how many blocks he's averaging since he's gotten here, but you mentioned the other night he had five blocks in like the first five minutes of a game, um, had a few last night. So you kind of have to respect that when you're dribbling in the paint against us. We touched on this on the last podcast, but I want your opinion on this, Evan. Okay. Uh, Evan Turner is set to return pretty soon. He's getting an x-ray and should return to the team um, in Atlanta against the Hawks. Who knows when he'll actually play. But we're talking about roles being defined and Shabazz Napier knowing he's going to get shots. Alan Crabb, who has averaged over 15 points over these last four games, knowing he's going to get 30 plus minutes. How does Evan Turner come in and impact the team? I can see the pros and I can see the cons. The pros to me, the pick and roll with Nurk the ability to play perimeter defense, but the cons you're splitting the minutes a little too thin. You're taking away shots and you're also taking the ball out of Dame CJ and essentially Nurkic's hands. 
Um, I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough because uh, as, you know, of our guards, he's the best defender. I know before he got hurt, Terry mixed up the rotation where he was starting him at the small forward just so he could guard the other guard, whatever guard on the other team was, was the best offensive player. Um, that's obviously matchup dependent. You can't really get away with that some games when if you play someone who's got a small four like Paul George or something like that, you're not going to be able to really get away with that. The thing that worries me, I've never thought that he and Al and AC play well together when they're on the floor at the same time. I think AC plays better with Dame and CJ where he comes off like side screens and there's more movement to the offense. I think Evan Turner kind of slows the movement down when he's on offense and not necessarily a bad thing because he he can find ways to get good shots for himself in, in like the half court offense. Um, I just, I've never really thought that that crab and he play well together at the same time. I wouldn't be shocked if they really ease him back in. If we, if we continue to play the way we're playing, um, if they ease him back in versus like, I mean, I don't obviously don't think he's going to come back and get a starting job, starting spot back. I think they like the starting lineup the way it is right now. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And it, yeah, to your point, Shabazz has earned some minutes. He's played well uh, with the minutes he's been given. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, t- what Terry does. That's what I was going to say. You know who does play well with Alan Crabb is Shabazz Napier. Absolutely. That behind, that under the legs, uh, almost reverse nutmeg to Crabb on the fast break against the Sixers was a thing of beauty. He looks to, to distribute, but he's he's quicker in getting into the offense. And also, you cannot put Mo Harkless back on the bench. We have seen that too many times. He does not work well off the bench. Some players are just like that. He needs to continue to start. So if Evan Turner is going to find his niche on this team, it's going to have to be in limited minutes, almost as a designated hitter in baseball. Um, But I think these last, you know, however many games we have, sub-20 games left, I think it's almost like open audition. And I hope the players still stay... um, strong as one unit but if you're looking at, at alan Krabs, baz napier you know mo and evan whoever plays well you're gonna want to keep hopefully they all do but neil is gonna have to i think make a move because we've seen that the nine man rotation that we have now is, is is max like that's all we need we cannot go anymore otherwise everything just gets stretched a little too thin so that's going to be something big as we you know reintroduce evan turner back into the system and we all know how long it took for ET to get accustomed to the way Portland plays. You know, with so few games left, the the margin for error is extremely thin. So, um, if you're a Blazer fan, you hope it works out quickly. Thankfully, the schedule is favorable. After this road trip, ten of the next thirteen are gonna be at home. It doesn't look super daunting. So, if it's gonna work, this is a really great scenario for it to happen. You summed it up really well. I didn't have anything to add. Well, well, thank you, Sage. I think the other big news uh, of last week was obviously that that blatant blown call, multiple blown calls down the stretch. Uh, The Blazers technically lost that game 125-124, but really did enough to win the game. And that's all that matters to me. you look back at them calling the foul on Bradley Beal. I think it was Alan Crabb or Damian Lillard fouled him on the, the wrist. They called it um, right call. However, Dame goes down the next possession. Same exact play does not get the whistle. Okay. Blazers are still up one. 
And then Marquise Morris not only, you know, shuffles the feet a bit, but steps out of bounds. It is not called and is not reviewable. Uh, this reminded me, and I, I was reading some forums, it totally reminds me of the play in the lockout shortened year when we were playing the Thunder at home. Scott Foster was the referee. Kevin Durant goes up for a game-winning layup. LaMarcus Aldridge clearly blocks it. They call goaltending. The season spiraled to shit after that game. It was a blessing in disguise. I mean, it forced us to trade Gerald Wallace to the Nets for the what pick ended up becoming Damian Lillard. But I don't think anybody wants to see that scenario happen again because you're not going to get lucky uh, getting another Dame for, for Gerald Wallace. Also, the trade deadline has passed. but. And if, if we all are current with the NBA, that play is now reviewable. Do you guys think that the out-of-bounds is going to become a reviewable play next year after this specific game? Absolutely. I mean, the the Twitter was ablaze with just people complaining about the call. And, I mean, with it was definitively he stepped out of bounds. That should be reviewable just based on that. And the added embarrassment is definitely going to be the thing that may, that makes this rule go into effect. I don't think the NBA wants to be embarrassed, and they were that night. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, go ahead, Evan. Oh, go for it. Uh, I was gonna say it's funny that night. Um, I w- was out with a bunch of friends, and we met up with some friends I hadn't seen in a while that night. Went to a bar out in Lake Oswego um, to meet up. Like I said, meet up with people, and it wasn't really a sports bar. When we walk in the bar, I saw the halftime score was seventy to forty nine, and I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna need to really worry about this game. That's incredible. Uh, at this bar, they had this like these old dudes playing a live cover band with all these old chicks all over them. It was hilarious. And this is what I love about Rip City and the Blazers. This this bar had one TV that wasn't on, and they all of a sudden these guys stopped playing music. I have no idea what's going on. It's because someone was like, "Hey, it's close in the fourth quarter. Can you guys stop so we can turn the game on?" And like everyone gathered around this thirty inch TV and we watched it. I was hammered drunk, and I could tell live. I'm like, he stepped out of bounds. And then they didn't call it. And then I took a shot and got more drunk because I was very upset. But they have to fix. They have to do something. Didn't the NBA, like, immediately after the game, one of the refs say that he should have been out of bounds? Or yeah, it should have been called out of bounds. He said if it was a reviewable call, he would have reviewed it, and it would have been Portland's basketball. And that's I think the NBA sets its officials up for failure. I'm not going to dismiss all of the other missed calls throughout the rest of the game. But like you said, this was as definitive as Damian hitting a game winner against Houston. And you can review if the ball left his hands in time. The NBA needs to give the referees the tools to do their job because they are human. They're not going to see every call. Even if it was his job to look at the baseline, maybe he just missed it. That is human error. That's completely fine. However, if you have so many fucking cameras, they need to be able to go to the monitors and say, hey, actually, you stepped out of bounds. Uh I have no idea why that is not reviewable. It, thankfully, I don't think it's going to hurt Portland. I do think we're going to make the eighth seed. I don't think it affects any seeding anywhere else. Um, the only thing it affected was that night's emotions. And I, for one, was happy to see Terry Stotts call him out, Damian Lillard call him out, because in my opinion, if a, pl- a call was made incorrectly and it was confirmed by the last two-minute report, you should be able to, to say something about it in your post-game press conference and not get fined. Um, if, if the referees are able to screw up, and we all see it, you should be able to say, hey, this, this is why we lost. And one of the things that really kind of pissed me off was everybody saying, oh, we shouldn't have blown a 21-point lead. Well, one, no shit. But two, the Wizards are the second-best team in the Eastern Conference with just as potent of a backcourt. 
And three, you can't beat teams by 20 every night. I mean, teams make runs. Portland did enough to win that game. And isn't that all we ever ask of a team is to do enough to win to win the game? Yeah. And with this, I mean, this isn't like a subjective was someone fouled, was someone not or like two guys go up for a rebound and it's really hard to see who it went out off of. Like this is definitive. So like there are calls that get messed up where a team should have won. So I hate the argument of like, well, you shouldn't have done this earlier. You shouldn't have done that. It's like, no, it was decided on this one call. Like, you know, I I don't understand that argument. Exactly. It wasn't, oh, did Jordan push off? Oh, did he travel? No, there was a line. He clearly stepped over it. It was black and white. There is no if, ands, or buts. But thankfully, Portland was able to put that behind them and get a huge victory in Phoenix, uh, a place I mentioned earlier has not been kind to the Blazers. We've already lost there once uh, this year, and Phoenix had been playing well. So that was a great start to the road trip. But before we move on to the next slate of games, uh, Sage, March Madness is here. Uh, The tournament starts this week. What are some prospects you're looking forward to watching? Because as we know, last year, Ben Simmons, the number one pick, did not play in the tournament. This year, Markel Fultz from the University of Washington, not in any postseason tournament. So there are some top prospects. And Dennis Smith. Exactly. Whether they're overseas or they're domestic, not able to play because of their team's success. But of the guys in the tournament, who are you looking forward to seeing? And who do you think could be a really big riser? And who do you think might see their stock fall? Hmm. I think Jason Tatum has been playing really well the last few games. He looked unstoppable against uh, North Carolina, and he looked really good against Notre Dame. He's someone I think his stock could rise. I think my guy Jonathan Isaac might fall because that team is supremely undisciplined. If you watch that Notre Dame game, they didn't close out at all. And Notre Dame is really efficient while sh- when they're shooting from three. It's kind of like a bunch of Dustin Hawes. They're shooting threes, and if you can't stop them, they're going to shoot fantastic. So I, 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 I'm, I'm watching the ACC a lot, apparently. <laughs> I mean, you totally stole my guy who I thought was going to fall. Florida State feels kind of very busty. Like mm. they're going to they're gonna get upset pretty early. Um, and Isaac isn't a guy who really can get buckets and bunches. He does a lot of little things on the court. Uh, the guy I think is going to rise and he already did a lot in the PAC 12 tournament was Lowry marketing mm-hmm. from Arizona. I couldn't pronounce uh, his name. That's why I didn't say it. the dude is currently slated to go to Portland at 12. Um, if you look at tankathon.com, I think he's going to be long gone by then because I think he's going to have a huge tourney. Uh, the guy would be so sexy next to Nurkic in that starting lineup. So thankfully Portland has three picks and could up, could move up to get him. But what I really liked about him lately is he's not just sitting outside the perimeter waiting for the ball to come to him. He's getting inside, getting rebounds, uh, playing a little defense, and scoring inside the paint. And that's what you see. That's more Dirk than Bargnani. And I think that's kind of his best and worst case. I know that's really extreme, but I, you know, that's that's what a best and worst case is. I think he'll fit somewhere in between. But the way he was able to get physical kind of relieved me knowing that he's probably not going to end up like Bargnani. Um, looking at the the draft, I, I'm not certain who's going to fall. Like Isaac, Isaac was my my guy, but another player to watch out for, and I'm not certain he's going to get taken in the lottery, but Harry Giles from Duke. 
Uh, we saw in the ACC tournament, he started to get some minutes once Emil Jefferson got into foul trouble. He showed off his athleticism, had a couple of alley-oops. And remember, this guy was the number one recruit for the past two years. He has had a lot of knee surgeries, but all it takes is a two or three games in the tournament, and you're going to get boosted up those boards. I mean, Tyrus Thomas, anyone? Don't talk about Tyrus Thomas like that. <laughs> um, he he just seems like like a garbage man to me. Like What he does is play good defense and rebound and then score off oops and both shots. Oh, who who's that guy that I like? Who's the guy up from Purdue that I talked to? Caleb Swanigan. Yeah, I think I think he'd look kind of sexy in a Blazers uniform as well. But uh, what about Lonzo Ball? I I think he's a fun prospect, but his dad, man, he needs to chill. That's the thing with Lonzo is like I really want to like his game, but the more he plays well, the more we hear from his dad. His dad today said back in his heyday he would give Michael Jordan the business. There was um a reporter, I think, in Washington that said, actually, in his one season in the late 80s at Washington State, LeVar Ball averaged 2.8 points per game. <laughs> you hate it. I think, it's, I think it's hilarious, man. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I understand why you guys might not, or I know Dustin, you're an Oregon fan, so he's like in the same conference. Uh, I don't really have college leaders. I don't really watch college that much at all. Um, I think it's just hilarious just to read because it is so ridiculous, obviously. Um, but I think he's doing it for that factor, and he's. It, it, I think it's becoming very Trumpish, and I, I hope people stop publicizing what he's saying because he's doing it for all the publicity. He's doing it for his trash ass big baller brand. Um, it, it's just I think it's going overkill. Like I think when he is said this, kid really is his kid really good though. Like I don't really watch UCLA. He is like, a is good he, basketball player, but he's, he's fifth I, on my he, list and probably second on Dustin's. His comments are setting his son up for failure because his dad's saying he's better than Steph. His dad's <laughs> saying his kids are going to be better than MJ. Like, if I am an NBA player, even a veteran, and I see Lonzo Ball line up against me next year, I'm going to fucking eat. Like, I'm going to not. I'm going to go at that kid, and I'm going to make isn't his life in, a living hell. Isn't that the unfortunate part too? Because, like, from all accounts, the kid's actually a really nice kid, and he's yes, probably the, in the, the background this, being like, "God damn it, dad." This has nothing to do with Lonzo. His dad, and he's. The dad just seems very like very controlling parent dad who I think might coach their high school team at Chino Hills. I'm if not he is sure the coach, I hate the way he coaches basketball. Either way, that oh, is that, the, is, that the, is that the other kid that yeah. scored 92 or whatever? Off of nothing but cherry picks. Oh, <laughs> God, that pissed me off so much. I, I That's hate my his style in plays. rec league, man. Dude, it's my style in rec league because I don't like to run back up the court. You're like yeah, your cousins, bro. <laughs> But I don't score. I, I get like twelve, not ninety-two. But a yeah, hard so Brooker's twelve. I'm assuming nothing oh, against the three players, but man, their dad is making that family really unlikable. So um, unlikable. it's going to be interesting to see where that kid winds up, though. Like what? I, yeah, yeah. His, his dad said his son will only play for the Los Angeles Lakers, and then he retracted and said, "Oh, I just really want to make that happen. I'm pu- pushing for that." It would be really funny if the Lakers ended up with the number two pick and Lonzo Ball's on the board and they pass on him. I don't believe they will with Magic Johnson in the mix, but it would be... Is he a two-guard? No, he's a one. No, he's a 6-6 he's a he, six, six point guard. He could be so Jason what would, Kidd if they are patient with him. If they what, would D'Angelo, what would they do with D'Angelo Russell? He is not a point guard. He is not a Get point rid guard. of D'Angelo Russell because he's not very good. He's not very good one, and he's a, he's a, com, he's a bad combo oh. guard. 
I saw him accidentally boot that ball out of bounds yeah. last night and fall over. It was he, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. His like he is a NBA two K Mybar player. He takes awful yep. shots, doesn't play defense. He is has awful t- celebrations. Oh my god, yo, that is that is and, NBA Mybar right there. And it, it'd be one thing if he didn't if he had a garbage coach, but like Luke Walton's gonna be a good coach, and it's like if he can't get through to him, you know, he He's might yeah he might need. Too. He might need a new situation. He might need to like go to like a San Antonio and sit on the bench and have Pop like really coach him up. Is there any players that you just enjoy watching but you know won't be in the NBA? I hope in you're not college? talking to me. I'm talking to Dustin. Wait, in college? Okay, yeah, in the in the that's in the tourney. That I know won't be in the NBA. Okay, I, I, I love bon- Bonzi Colston, but I don't think he's going to be a very good NBA player unless he just takes on that Chuck Hayes persona. But he's a six-five center that gets like ten rebounds a game. Six-five. Yeah. Who's he play for? Notre Dame. I, I okay. love Notre Dame. That is the team I'm going to curse. I can already tell. I mean, I watch a lot of Pac-12 guys who I think are good. Um. Isaac Hamilton from USC, he's an undersized or UCLA, he's an undersized two guard. Probably going to end up playing overseas, but I mean, he hits a lot of key buckets for them. For Oregon, I really love Casey Benson when he gets in the games. Again, probably another either D leaguer or Euro. But think Steve Blake, clutch threes, assist to turnover ratio through the roof. Uh, very smart player. Uh, I think he won like almost every state tournament as uh, a four year player at the U of O. And those are the two that really pop out. But usually I'm trying to pay attention to the guys that are going to uh, come into the league. Yeah, Bonzi is my dude. I I, I fuck with it. That, that dude's so heavy. He has a 7'2 wingspan, but 6'5". I mean, that like, I, I, like in my low-key trash my, uh, Portland Park days, I was, I was a Bonzi Colston. So I and and he's sort of chunky. So I relate to him on so many levels, and I think he's half Asian. So, all right, with you can that, get a room. <laughs> with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break before we head into uh, this week's slate of games for the Trailblazers. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% saving. Loot Crate is a monthly mystery crate that delivers the best in geek and gamer gear. From collectibles, apparel, tech gadgets, art, and other epic gear. It's like Comic-Con in a box. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items. For less than $20 a month, you get 6 to 8 items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique, one-of-a-kind items, and more. You have until the 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. By supporting Loot Crate, you support our podcast, Holy Backboard. Sign up at www.trylootcrate.com slash holybackboard and enter the code RIDGE10 to save 10% on any new subscription. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here, joined by Evan McCarthy. Evan, thanks again for joining us on the podcast this evening. Yep, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, so the Blazers have four games left on this this road trip, and they will be in sets of back-to-backs. They kick it off 
Tuesday, Wednesday at New Orleans and at San Antonio, and then uh, Saturday, Sunday weekend um, weekend matchups against the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat. This is going to be a good test for the Blazers, especially if they can kind of navigate those waters and come out 500 as they head into that home stretch where 10 of the last 13 are at home. Sage, let's start first with your Pelicans, who the Blazers take on uh, at 5 p.m. tomorrow at Smoothie King Arena. It hasn't been smooth sailing for the Pelicans since acquiring DeMarcus Cousins, and you guys already have 40 losses, probably too late to make a playoff push. What are some ways the Blazers can exploit the Pelicans, and what are some ways the Pelicans, um, the Blazers need to watch out for for New Orleans? So I, I, I think the Pelicans have three offensive players, and we all know who they are, Drew Holiday, AD, and Boogie Cousins. So what I would do if I was the Blazers is I would put Damon CJ on Solomon Hill and that other shooting guard. Uh, shit, I forgot his name. Uh, you forgot your starting shooting guard's name. Hollis Thompson. Hollis Thompson. He's a he's a career thirty nine percent three point shooter, and I don't think I've seen him make five, and I've watched every minute. So Solomon Hill hit about thirty two percent from three. With Boogie on the team, he is hitting 18% from three. So you let those two wings shoot as much as possible. And they switch on every single pick and roll. They switch everything. So Boogie is in worse shape than Yosef Nurkic by far. I have never seen an elite player play as lazy as him. It honestly reminds me of me when I was out of shape playing uh, y ball because I would shoot three pointers because I didn't want to run to the post because I knew that was an extra 15 feet I'd have to run back on defense Boogie is totally doing that if he's out jacking threes we can live with that but if he's mad pissed off at Myers he'll post up and what I've noticed about him is he cannot use his left hand at all in posts he will do any, every counter move possible, so he uses his right hand. So I would force him left, and uh, I think Drew Holiday has been really bad with ball handling, so I would put Mo Harkless on the, him and tell him make his life miserable because he's been he, his handle's been so bad that oh fuck, who's the white guy on the Jazz that's not Gordon Hayward? Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles stripped him twice in the Utah game, so. I, I would put AD. I would put Al Farouk Aminu on AD because for some reason uh, AD's been kind of worried about getting into the post because he's kind of delicate. So he's been shooting mid range. I think Al Farouk has the athleticism to stick with AD on the perimeter. Um, Dante Cunningham actually shoots really well from the the right corner. If he's at the left, he shoots like twelve percent from three. But if he's on the right, it's pretty it's pretty pure. So yeah. No, and you already answered one of my questions is when no Von Lake comes out and we have to put another power forward on Anthony Davis, who would it be and why? And would we get, you know, took into the post? I think that's going to be a matchup to watch. Should Portland utilize a Dame Nurkic pick and roll against Boogie Cousins every Absolutely, time down the court? Absolutely, because he's, he's, he's out of, he's way out of shape. So if you get his, his big ass running, it can only be good things. And they stagger AD and Boogie a lot. I'd say they play 12 minutes together, and then the rest of the time, it's just AD dominating and then Boogie dominating. So if we can take advantage of the pick-and-roll situations while Boogie is on the court, 
it's going to be smooth sailing. But, I mean, AD's not going to give up easy pick and rolls all day because he, he knows defensive principles. But they, they switch everything, so Boogie's often late on those switches. Evan, who's your X Factor in this game tomorrow night? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to go back to, like I mentioned earlier, with um, the guys who've been benefiting with Nurkic. I think uh, I think a lot of it's going to hinge on if Mo Harkless and Noah Vonley can be active around the offensive glass. Um, I know it's going to be tough with those two guys, uh, with Boogie and AD, um, but I, I think if we need any chance, the one thing with, with uh, Ed Davis being out, this would be a game where it'd be nice to have him, obviously, because he gives us that. Yeah, we're very, yeah, exactly. So um, I think it's going to be those two guys for sure. And then I just hope, I hope that Nurkic can stay out of foul trouble because if he gets in foul trouble, then we're in real, then we are uh, in deep. I mean, you got Myers Leonard and Aminu are your two bigs. I mean, obviously Vonley, but Aminu coming off the bench. So um, getting, making sure that Nurkic stays out of foul trouble. I mean, so, on defense, who would he be better guarding? Boogie. You do not want him because, chasing AD. Yeah. Agreed. So Vonley will be, yeah, that's fine. And then Aminu can, like you said as well, coming off the bench. For some um, reason, he AD is not taking dudes to the paint and punishing them down low. So if, if, if AD is shooting 18-foot jumpers in the dumb zone, you let him do it. I will say, I could see Alan Crabb uh, doing a lot of backdoor cuts to the 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 rim because Solomon Hill I think is a great defensive player but he gets caught looking at the ball a lot so if AC and all the guards can do cuts I think it's a really going to be beneficial I think uh Etwan Moore is a very good defender so he won't get caught with those shits but if we can utilize uh Solomon's ball watching we can get some easy baskets and that I mean that that's a tough thing for the Blazers is easy basket so backdoor cuts um if we bully each one he usually he gives up about like 60 percent in the paint but yeah a lot a lot of backdoor makes solomon think two things from me one myers cannot get boogie upset we want boogie to be lazy docile really uninterested in this game uh so i would look for that first and foremost two bench scoring uh, the Pelicans, like you mentioned, are a three-person team. Portland can go nine deep. We need AC to put up at least ten shots. Baz to hit a couple of big buckets here and there. In Aminu, he has just been a beast on the boards, but also hitting timely threes. And uh, we mentioned last podcast how well he's been playing post-All-Star break. So if those things come together, I think Portland gets their second straight road win on this this road trip, uh, which would be super nice. That would mean they would only need to get one of the next three uh, to come up with uh, over 500 road trip, which is key for any team, but especially the Blazers with the road woes they had all throughout the season. So I've got the Blazers winning probably by eight or nine points. Uh, Evan Sage, what are your predictions? Uh, I like this as a W. I like this as a W too, but over under 10 nervous sweets for me that game. Over. <laughs> <laughs> I hate these fucking games. Obviously, I'm excited today. I get to talk the like most knowledgeably about any other team besides the Blazers. But holy shit, I hate these fucking games. My my sister's going to be in attendance tomorrow. Nice. She's not. She's not a basketball. My my sister's from here. Obviously, up from the Portland area. 
she lives in New Orleans. She's lived there for six or seven years now. Um, she's going with her Peace Corps group, and she's not a basketball fan at all. Doesn't give a shit, but she will be there. So hopefully, she can bring us some good luck. And luck is what Portland will need the next night in San Antonio, uh, taking on the Spurs. It's actually going to be an ESPN telecast. Uh, I think the New Orleans game will dictate how Portland plays in San Antonio. If they're able to win comfortably, which would be amazing, and they're able to rest their starters, they should have the legs to take on the Spurs. Who knows if the Spurs are going to be playing with LaMarcus Aldridge or not? I would guess no, being this close in, in the week. Um, and really no updates coming from from the team on the status of LaMarcus. Um, Kawhi is just getting back from the concussion protocol. Um, Tony Parker's had the bad back. So this is a team who I think in externally they're saying they don't care about the one seed. But if it comes down to the Western Conference Finals, you want home court advantage against the Warriors. So I don't think the Spurs are just going to lay down and die and roll over. Um, but it has been a long time since Portland has played the Spurs. It's been since December 30th. Um, San Antonio did win by 16 um, at the AT&T Center. But I think it's completely different scenarios. Teams are, you know, Nurkic has give, given Portland such a dramatic uh, look. And then, of course, if LaMarcus is out, that's a huge loss for the Spurs. Um, Sage, am I crazy for thinking Portland might win this game? A little bit. I, I mean, I, I kind of count this as a loss. I think that they're just so fundamentally sound. And I don't think we're there yet able to to handle the defensive pressure, to handle everything that the Spurs throw at you. So I, I'm kind of thinking you're crazy right now. I, I respect that you're taking your shot, but this one might not be the, 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 the one to do so. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. To your point about them saying externally they might not care about the, the number one seed, I I think that, yeah, that might be true that they might not say that, but I... I think knowing with this team, the way they're constructed with the players they have on this roster, and now in this last offseason, the Warriors getting Kevin Durant, and if he's healthy in the postseason and years moving forward, they're not going to get any worse. I mean, I think their window, I know we say it every year, their window's closing or it's getting smaller, but like this is a prime opportunity for them to get the one seed, and it would be beneficial for them to do it. Um, so if I were them seeing Portland coming in on the second of a back-to-back, and, you know, we've been playing well as of late, but as a whole, I mean, we're fighting for an eight seed. I think it's going to be it's going to be tough work to get a W. I am calling my shot this. I've, I've, wait, I've waited all season long to make my shot. I think this is it, Sage. Um, I've just got a good feeling if, if LaMarcus isn't there, we can beat them up inside. Kawhi can only guard one of our two guards. I think the other one goes off. And this is another game where I feel like it's going to be Chief and it's going to be AC and it's going to be Mo. It's going to take a definite team effort. But if Mo and, uh, and Alfaro Camino can just do a good job of keeping Kawhi really from shooting. And I know that sounds pretty drastic, but he's so fucking efficient no matter where he gets the ball on the court. If you can just deny him a couple of touches and force the other shooters the other X factor, you please put a fucking body on Patty Mills. You cannot let him shoot wide open shots in transition. Transition defense will be key. The Spurs, especially at home, Danny Green, Manu, Patty, uh, they all hit just clutch, heartbreaking threes for the opposition. So if Portland can limit those, take their time on offense, make smart, concise plays on offense, I think they do leave 
uh, San Antonio victorious. Uh, call me crazy, but I think Nurkic has just given this team such a competence, a different dimension that um, things are only going to go up from here if you're a Trailblazer fan. Yeah, you you brought up Aminu. Let me say one thing. I've been dying to say this whole podcast. I wish I were as confident at anything in my life is as confident as Alfred Camino is at shooting a jump shot. It is unbelievable how, and like, it's one of those things where if you just watch him shoot and don't watch the slide of the ball, you think it's going to go in every single goddamn time. But when he misses, he misses so badly. It's unreal. But just, he's so confident, man. I love it. I love how confident he is. (laughs) Shoot your shot, my dude. It's the opposite of Myers where if he misses a few, he won't even look at the basket. Like he won't even look at the basket. If he, if, if Aminu hesitates, he's doing his team a disservice because he ha- he is open. So in one sense of the word, like shoot it if you're open, but Man, his, whole, his, like, his confidence is sky high. No, either he hits it or it is so far off. It's it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. And but he's yeah, his confidence, man. I love it. All right, all right. I assume both of you guys are going lost. Yeah, we're going lost. We're not as ballsy as you. Um, I think it'll be better. I think it'll be a better game than back when we played in December when we lost by 16. Uh, I think it'll be competitive. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Sage Tough, well, is... This, this, oh, go for it. I was going to say, moving on to the Hawks, is, is Dwight Howard back? I'm looking at the basketball he reference. today. And okay. But oh. he has been hampered by injuries. Yeah. Now, this is a game where I don't feel super confident. Um, we just, Atlanta is an Eastern Conference arena that even back with Clyde and Terry, uh, we, d- we did not play well there. Um, I know we had them dead to rights in Portland. Millsap hit that, that game winning, uh, or excuse me, overtime forcing, you know, left-handed floater. And then they ended, I think, the game on like a 12 or 13-0 run after we had scored the first seven points of overtime. We're definitely capable of beating them, but it's it's one, it's just that arena, the Phillips Arena. There's not a ton of energy in there. You have to manufacture it yourself. Um, it's the fourth of a fifth, uh, fourth of a five game road trip. Um, Paul Millsap is that veteran player who is like a Spurs Spurs system guy, where he's gonna make you pay. I mean, this, the, the Hawks are like the little brother of the Spurs. I mean, Boonholzer exactly. is, is a Spurs guy. Their, their systems are very similar. So we play the Spurs, and then we're playing their little brother in Atlanta. I mean, we've got we've got a few hard, tough games. So it, it, this this scheme is super similar. Um, I love Al Horford and the confidence that Tim Hardaway Jr. is shooting with. Al Horford? What? Paul, you mean Paul Millsap? Ah, ha, ha. I'm keeping my fuck up too, uh, uh, Paul Millsap. Yeah, um, yeah. The confidence that I don't have right now because you called me out. Um, <laughs> shoot your shot, Sage. I think we when lose. They're, <laughs> when, when they're healthy, they're they have a nice roster when they're healthy. Uh, can you name ten players on their team? Because I couldn't when I was drunk. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, because I'm looking at it right yeah. now. I can name you. All, I can name all of them. I could have came probably not ten because a lot of teams don't play ten deep. I mean, no. Back when they made those trades, you could name their starting five, and outside of that, you're like, who the fuck do they have on their roster? It's dumb. No, all, all three of us. I, I could have gone Baysmore, 
Millsap for sure, Dwight Howard for sure, Schroeder for you're, sure. You're, you're naming all their starters, Evan. I know, well, I'm, but they only they only play eight dudes. They only play. Eight and you're guys. looking at the roster now, so you're like, oh, that makes sense. But if we would have put you on the spot, you would have. Mm, I, I got to see this. I would have got four out of the five uh, of the starting lineup at, at least. I would have I would have forgot that uh, Sephalosha was. I I was still stuck in the mindset of him getting his ass kicked by those racist cops in New York. Mm-hmm. He was on the team, I think. Still, he was on Atlanta. Yeah, I know, but he was out for a while. Mm-hmm. No, I like that roster. Um, Nurkic you- and Howard will be a fun matchup to watch. This whole week will be fun. You've got Boogie Cousins, um, possibly Pau Gasol in San Antonio, um, Dwight Howard, and then Hassan Whiteside to finish the trip. So oh. Nurkic is getting, you know, we talked about this on earlier episodes of the podcast, but every night it's a different type of big for him. Uh, so it'll be really fun to see how he bangs against Dwight because Dwight's not going to take him out in the perimeter. He's going to have to box him out and he, he can bully him down low a little bit. Nurkic is younger and he's you know, at seven foot 280. He he's a bull he's a freight train coming down the, down the middle of the paint. Damn. It's going yeah, to be fun, man. That Miami team, that Miami game is going to be tough. They've been playing so well lately. Dude. Well, they had that stretch, but yeah. Well, are we scared? So I think we lose against Atlanta. What do you, Sage loss? Loss. Evan loss? Do, well, it depends. Do we know, do they play the night before? Do we get lucky and catch someone on the back-to-back on this road trip? Well, we have three days off before this game. Or is it two days? Because we go Tuesday, we have Thursday, Friday, and then play Saturday. Yeah, but essentially. Yeah, we have half. two, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I can see us winning that game. I'll see they we only, win that game. They only get one day off. So they play Thursday against the Grizzlies. Then they play Saturday. Okay, so you've got to win. <laughs> hey, yeah, Fredo. There he is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why he's freaking out. Right on the hour mark. Hour? Wait, you made it way longer than I thought. He's begging for the Nerf gun. I just... So... I have this thing where now it used to be a squirt bottle, but whenever you stop barking at during a blazer game or whatever, I would threaten to squirt him or squirt him. And then it got to the point where he just didn't give a shit. He'd be like rain, rain down upon me. I don't care. So I had to resort to getting a nerf gun and that's working for the most part. But now he's starting to not give a shit about that either. So I was literally looking at Amazon, a nerf, like a machine gun, like one that just fires off rounds. And, Talk your shit, Kratos. Talk your shit. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but Miami is... I know they're playing well, and they've kind of risen from the ashes. Uh, they were like a top two or three lottery team, and now they're almost borderline playoff. Um, right now, they're 32 and 35, just a half game out of the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Goran Dragic, I don't know how recovered he's going to be. His eye looks really so fucked up. Gross. That looks so gross. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I mean, I know it'll be a week, but that was a shiner that's going to stay a while. And two, while we play like trash in Atlanta, historically, we always win in Miami. I don't know why I like to fall back on these historical points when the teams couldn't be any more different year in and year out. But it's an arena we're comfortable in, which is crazy considering it's in, you know, right on the water in South Beach. But Portland plays well there. And I think the matchup is going to be Hassan Whiteside and Nurkic. Lately, Nurkic has been getting into foul trouble, and he's got to really learn to play defense without fouling, not pick up anything ticky-tack going over the back. 
um, because he's going to have to do a great job on Whiteside. Whiteside is one of the elite rebounders in this game. Um, so that's going to be one I'm going to watch. And then you've got to watch for the other players on Miami, not named Dragic or Whiteside. Guys like Dion Waiters. The Wings. Yeah, the really streaky. Bastard. And he's really picked up his play um, as of late. That's the type of guy who plays well at home and can ignite that crowd. Yeah, I, I think the, the Heat just took the formula of we're going to play tough defense, Hassan and Goran are going to be consistent, and then one of our cornucopia of guards is going to be hot this game, whether it's James Johnson, Dion Waiters, Josh, Josh Richardson, Richardson. Um, Tyler Jackson. Ty- Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, Johnson yeah. yeah. So it's Dirty just... Sprite. Dirty Sprite. You know his nickname is Dirty Sprite? <laughs> I do now. I had you no know idea. Dick... No, I had no idea. His nickname is Dirty Sprite. I kind of see it. I think Nurk That's can, amazing. Nurk can kind of get biz in this game because Hassan is a great rebounder, but I've, I've noticed that he kind of gets bullied when it's those type of Nurkic players. So I could see Nurkic maybe having an advantage for Hassan in this game. I mean, I hope so because they only lost by four in Indiana, and that's without Dragic. And Whiteside got busy, 26 points and 21 rebounds. Um nearly evenly split offense and defense. So second chance points are going to be key. I think paint points are going to be key. We cannot be worried about Whiteside. Uh, that's why I want to see Nurkic handle the ball at the top of the key and then distribute the offense because you're bringing Whiteside out with him and it's able to get Damon CJ open and in rhythm. And I think it just opens up the entire offense for the Trailblazers. So the, these four games to me are almost on Terry Stotts. You've been gifted this, this, this basketball weapon, and you've got something at your arsenal in Yusuf Nurkic where you can dump it in down low, run the pick and roll like you've never been able to run before, really, with a, with a center, and the plumly type of passing from the top of the key. He has this. How is he going to utilize it? We saw in Phoenix how he kind of went back to status quo, and it almost caught us. It will catch us in these four games. These teams are more talented than the Suns. So... If I'm looking at an overarching theme for this week, it's Terry Stotts. How does he utilize Nurkic? How does he keep the fever going? Because we all have it, and it shouldn't run out. There's not a cure for it anytime soon, um, other than foul trouble. I, I got a, a question for both of you. What, oh, what do you think the what do you think the best fit archetype wise for Nurkic? What do you think the best player would be archetype wise? What what? what, what you mean like comp? Do? Yeah, like what does he? Do? What does the perfect power forward do to help Nurkic uh, be the most successful? What does this power forward do? Wait, are we talking about Nurkic or the power forward? No, like what power forward would work best with Nurkic? Moving forward, you're saying what yeah. if we could... Okay. I'm thinking a better defending Ryan Anderson, somebody who can be comparable on that end of the court, but is also going to be able to spread the floor. If you can run... Inside, outside post, um, high-low action on the elbow, kind of like we saw LaMarcus and Robin Lopez. Uh, I'm just thinking, if you can spread that floor and you've got shooters all around the court, you're almost able to do what the Rockets did with Akeem, and they just dump it into him. And if Nurkic can develop not a on post moves, I know, but an ability to go one-on-one without the threat of a double team, he's going to get that big into foul trouble real quick, or if they do double... You've got cutters and you've got lethal shooters. So I would that's why I'm really high on marketing from Arizona. Yeah, he would I think that's be the, perfect. I'm that is that is my perfect fit. 
Yeah, no, I definitely think it's going to be someone who doesn't mind not getting the ball. I mean, we've seen with Stotts how they've been using him, especially early in games. It's a lot of pick and roll with Dame. And then Nurkic um, sometimes gets the creative control. He gets the ball at the top of the key. So you're going to want a guy who is wants to play defense, which, you know, in today's NBA, especially with this team, um, it's hard to come by someone who actually wants to play defense. Uh, not going to mind not getting the ball. But if he did, if he is like around the baseline or if he can step out and knock down if he's wide open, um, would be uh, preferable. Yeah, you brought up a great you brought up a great point about not wanting the ball. You've already got Damon CJ who and deservedly so are going to get shots one and two in the offense. You've got Nurkic who's going to be the third option. Um, you have Mo Harkless who is a capable scorer. So you're, it's got to be a guy who is happy shooting when he's open and really happy with the team's success, playing defense and spreading the floor. Like that's got to be their role and that he's got to really not only enjoy it but relish in that role. So a low usage power forward like a a younger better Jared Dudley more size more yeah yeah bigger got to play better defense like got just more that's why I like uh the marketing so much he's seven, he's 7 feet tall as well Yeah I mean if 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 Lori's there we take him but man I've been doing a lot of research on like guys we can get with the MLE cuz that's all we have it gets kind of ugly when you look at those bigs. So we got to find a cheap option to do those things for a while. Well, we got three picks in the draft. Neil's got to make it count. Yep. Well, yeah, but that's going to be interesting, too, because all these guys are on our roster next year, right? Like, there, there's no one. What salary comes off our book? What contracts come off? Fastest. Fastest, okay. But we're if we have three picks, we're going to well, be adding like, you know I, I mean, like, how do we make the numbers work on our roster? Just well, I think you can say probably, you know, Pat Connaughton is a guy who is eligible, maybe a Tim Quarterman. Um, there's guys you can make room for first round picks like you can also the NBA and the new CBA. Uh, they're allowing two extra players on the roster. They just have to be d- designed or excuse me, relegated to the D League. So you can actually carry 17. I did not know that. I did not know that either. It's that either helps. happening. It's either happening next year or when the new CBA was signed into effect. So it is coming. Um, I would be surprised if Portland uses all three picks. I, I think they'll. They're gonna. If they make the playoffs, they're gonna be picking around fifteen. So they're gonna need to package them up to get a guy like Markkanen or a guy like Miles Bridges, um, somebody that they want to see up in the draft. So it's just more assets for Neil Olshay to, to use um, to get the guy he really wants. So would you be happy with Markkanen as the? We trade up for just him. Would yes. you be happy? I would too. I mean, yep. I think it gives Portland a legit future um, with Dame, CJ, Mo, and Nurkic all not even hitting the prime of their career. And then you've got this guy who, in, in normal years, I think is a bona fide number one pick. This just happens to be a really top heavy draft at the top with point guards galore. And then you've got obviously Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum. It's just a freakish draft that in any other year, He's thought of as the top three pick. Lock. Yeah. I mean, his comp is Ryan Anderson. I just don't get that. Ryan Anderson isn't that tough. Marketing no, can be, more play physical. five in a, in a pinch. If mm-hmm. Nurk gets in trouble, we move Market into the five, and we're good. He's tough enough to handle being in the paint, which is really impressive. I mean, Euro guys have this, like, stigma narrative of being soft, but th- this dude... 
he plays hard and he's he's willing to be tough. Yeah, well, I think you've got guys like Jokic, obviously Dirk, um, Sabonis. You've got Nurkic. These are Euros who are coming in and they're not taking any shit. Jonas Valanciunas um, too. Yep, JV. So I like the that the Euro narrative is slowly shifting to not just soft, um, not just perimeter oriented. I mean, their basketball players just like, um, you know, I don't even know who I'm trying to. They're just regular basketball, like Demarcus Cousins. Like they'll play tough, or you want to go outside, like Anthony Davis. They can do that too. Mm. Um, Yoke Kristaps Porzingis is a tough motherfucker too. Peck, um, way back. If we're throwing it back to a guy who's been injured, Peck. Yeah, so I love that the narrative is shifting, that it's cool to draft Euros again. They're coming over, because they were the flavor of the month for a while. Like, Skidishvili was taken slowly on hype, um, solely on hype, excuse me, and yeah, you know, he busted. <laughs> those, words were, those words were tough to put string together, so I'm going to give you a pass on that. Thanks, well, my look friend. At, look at all the guys the Blazers have drafted Euro players that net didn't really pan out. and How much hype Rudy's in the past 10 years, one of the biggest Blazers on hype that, like, when you look back at it, didn't really do that much. Nope, sure didn't. Sergio you know, Rodriguez. Sergio, yep. Yeah, but so. If, if you get an eye for talent like the Blazers had with Stu Inman and they drafted Jarazin Petrovic and Arvita Sabonis in the same 86 draft, that's franchise changing right there. I mean, there's no, more, there's no more rules that say, oh, you got to stay and play for the USSR. Um, they're coming over right away if, if they can play. Look at Dario Saric. I mean, I'm... I bet I, I kind of gave them shit for waiting two years on a guy, but he's obviously worth it. Uh, so just because if the Blazers draft, a, you know, uh, a European or a foreign based player doesn't mean that they're soft and it doesn't mean that they can't play. It's just it means we haven't seen them play yet, but our scouts have. So uh, trust our scouts. They do a good job. I don't think we ever actually got to the Miami predictions. I think it's going to be a win. What do you what do you guys think? Hmm. Historically, it feels like we do pretty good in Miami. I, I, I always, I've, I've recalled over the past few years, like some pretty fun, good wins in Miami. Um, I, uh, it's the last game of a road trip, knowing that they've got what ten of their last thirteen at home. After that, correct. What is that game on a Sunday? Yes, is like a day game. It is three p.m. Pacific, so six Eastern. Six Eastern. Um, I'm going to go with an L. I'm going with a win. We're going two and two. All right. I've got us going three and one. Going to beat the Spurs too. Calling my shot right there. Um, oh, give me props for go picking the, uh, four and one. Or three well, and it one. didn't really, four and one didn't happen because we didn't play the Timberwolves. You didn't play Minnesota. But I predicted one loss. You did. You did. You I, me, I got, I got the OKC so game wrong. You gave me so many glares. I did, I did. But what I will say is it's been refreshing to watch this team post-Nurkic. I think they all play with more of a pep in their step. I can tell as a fan I'm more excited to watch it. With Plumlee, it was the same old shit, and this has nothing to do with just Mason Plumlee. It was just the routine they fell into. There was no difference maker down low, and the team got a little little stale to watch. It, It was tough at times, but I think Nurk has really revitalized Rip City and has got me excited to watch these games again. He is the reason why I'm not just losing my shit if we're going to make the playoffs because you've got a 22 year old bull coming in there and really getting his feet wet for the first time. And I think that that's worthwhile. That's worth 
dropping two or three spots in the draft for now. Well, I was going to ask you guys, like, how how disappointed would you be if we finished ninth in the West? Nice. See, I wouldn't be super disappointed that either because then then you're getting a lottery pick. So I've always been like lottery. I've been on the lottery pick train for a while. It's just now I'm starting to embrace the playoffs. One, because I think it's inevitable Two, Nurkic getting his first uh, playoff experience. And three, the team just looks like last year's team. They don't look like what we saw throughout the first you know 60 games this year. They actually look like they're starting to play a little defense. Uh, they're starting to. I, it's just an energy they have. Like they mm. were playing with effort, but earlier in the season they said they weren't playing with energy and energy is a really tough thing to quantify, but it is something you can see when you watch the game and they just, they look like they're having fun again. I think that's just the overall takeaway. They're having fun and I'm having fun watching them uh, play the game. Yeah. I got, I was getting really nervous leading up to the all-star break. They, I mean, they obviously look very disinterested and, that's why I don't care if we make the playoffs or not, because obviously they're engaged, especially someone like Damian Lillard. Like, I want to keep him interested. I don't want him hearing locally that people don't think that he's trying when he, I mean, leading up the All-Star break, he was having a rough stretch. But now he's he's flipped the switch and he's absolutely killing it right now. I mean, since the Nurkis trade, I think we're, we've got the number one rated offense right now in the NBA since that trade or in the month of March, at least. Um I know we're so, top yeah. five at least, or top three, excuse me. I think I looked in March, I think in the month of March, which I know we're only ha- just halfway through the month, but we, I think we have the number one rated offense. And it's so weird to look because I looked down that list and I think Golden State was like 28th in the month of March because they've been struggling. But anyways, um, that's why I wouldn't mind if we don't make the playoffs because I, I just want them to, I want Damian and CJ to remain interested because you, you get into an off season. If we would have limped into the off season, if we were to continue the path we were going from All-Star break to, to the offseason, who knows? These guys start have rumblings and, like, do I, you know, am I having fun here anymore? Um, so I think Nurkic definitely breathes that new life into us, and I think we really needed it. I mean, I think you summed it up pretty perfectly, Evan. Um, I think we're about to wrap this podcast up. If you like what you're hearing, uh, give us that five-star review on iTunes. My guy Sage showed us our latest five-star review. Um, so thank you for sending those over there and subscribing to our podcast. And say nice things to about our podcast. It works. Yes, it works. It may, it put a smile on my face. Um, you can get it on iTunes at Holy Backboard. We're also available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. And you can find us on social, Twitter, Facebook, and the gram uh, at Holy Backboard. Evan, thank you again for joining us. Let our followers and listeners know where they can find you and your awesome designs. Yeah. So uh, for those who do not know, I'm an artist. I do like stencil spray paint art and also some illustrator type designs. Please give me a follow at Evan M PDX. It's E-V-A-N-E-M-P-D-X, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter. It's the same. So, uh, definitely hit that up. That'd be awesome. You're so lucky you're not on on Skype because I imitate that every single time. Oh, when I spell it out, yeah, we've done we've done eight podcasts together. I know e v a n e m dot com. Well, you have you have to do it though, man, because people don't. They're like they're like Eminem or like you know it's yeah it's it doesn't seem like it would be that hard. Or like when people read it, um, they don't know how to pronounce it. So like if I do a trade show or something like that, if I do a, a street uh, street fair, they'll be like, how do you pronounce it? And it's like, oh, it's Evan M. Like, 
you know, my name's Evan McCarthy, so it's Evan and then my initials EM. It is kind of a play on Eminem, obviously, but yeah. So EvanMPDX or Evanem.com. And one more thing before we sign off. The Holy Backboard March Madness bracket on ESPN is back up and ready. Uh, the bracket name is just Holy Backboard. Join the group. We will send details out on Twitter, but I believe we have another Fire Evan MT to give away to the winner, which we did last year. Um, I'm hopeful I'm going to win. I want another T. I wear those, uh, you know, I wear that gear all the time and get hella compliments on it. So I'm looking to take the Holy Backboard bracket crown back. Didn't two po- uh, Sly Poker Dogs win last year? I think he I did. Believe did he? So. Yeah. I believe so. He runs he runs the sports to uh, the Rip City 2 thing. RipCity2.com, well, uh, he sure does. Yeah, those guys are dope. Yeah. Shout out to him. He won shout, out to, shout out to you for, for providing the gear as well. Oh, I mean, he he fucking did win last year because he he lives like a half mile from my work. And I remember I actually was going to mail it. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to walk it to his front door. And I did. You're the man, bro. Yeah, it was a nice little stroll in the southeast Portland. All right. Thanks again, Evan, for joining us. Uh, Sage for producing this uh, and you for listening. It is uh, about 11 p.m. on a Monday night. I think it's time for us to sign off. Got four big games coming up on the road trip. Uh, if the Blazers can go two and two, we'll celebrate. If even better, playoffs. Let's go, Blazers. Let's go.